Hello everyone, this is episode 24 of Going Beyond Salvation. I'm your host, Jess Robinson, and it's a really snowy day here in Wyoming. I actually got snowed in from my job today. The roads were so bad that I I made the decision not to drive over an hour and, and fight this. And so, um, so... Um, going on in today's episode, I just want to take a few minutes and talk about yesterday when, uh, when this episode's being filmed, I filmed this episode on Monday, February 3rd, 2020. Yesterday was February 2nd, 2020, which was the Super Bowl. And... There has been a lot of controversy going around about the halftime on Super Bowl. I want to say I had no problem with the football game whatsoever because the football game against the Chiefs and the 49ers was great. It was cool watching what the Chiefs did. So um, that was awesome. However, I do want to say that... um, I was not a big fan of the halftime show on uh, for Super Bowl Sunday. Um, you know, there was Shakira and Jennifer Lopez. And I have to say that that halftime show was so immoral that I it was actually kind of interesting. My husband actually fell asleep during the halftime show. He was... Um, curled up next to me on a couch and he fell asleep and I was praising Jesus because of that because I didn't want my husband looking at these two women who were practically the this clothes were getting skimpier and skimpier and I felt like it was so immoral the dancing was so immoral the just the clothes itself was so immoral and um I was just not happy with it. And I know there's a huge division going on and um, because of the halftime show, there's such a division going on. But this is where I stand with the halftime show. I do not want to see my youth group boys and I don't want to see my youth group girls looking at two celebrities that are dancing on a pole with hardly any clothes on. Um, You know, I want their eyes to be pure and saved for the spouse of their future. That is what I want. I don't want my husband to have some skimpy clad woman you know, thrown at his face on TV. You know, I come to watch a football game. I didn't come to watch somebody stripping on a pole. That's, I'm going to term it that way, that she was, they were pretty much just stripping on a pole that, and it was just showing, you know, how depraved our, our culture is. That it's so secular that it's okay for a woman who, you know, one of them is engaged 
And I feel sorry for the man that is engaged to her because, you know, she was grinding up against a rapper and in during the show. And I'm sorry, that is showing that it's okay to be unfaithful to, to your husband or your future husband. It's okay to be unfaithful. It's okay to flaunt your body in front of other people and and not have respect for your future husband or wife. Um, you know, while I'm sitting here watching, you know, looking through Facebook and there's so many people going, well, it's two Latina women that are showing empowerment. I didn't see empowerment. I saw exploitation of women, sexual exploitation of women. Um, I saw, you know, a situation where probably many women and men who struggle with um, their bodies, with sexual sins, struggle with pornography, and they're trying to gain self-control in their life and be virtuous, they had that flaunted at them. And I'm sorry, I don't agree with it. I think as believers... You know, we have to stand up and say enough is enough. You know, we have to stand up and say we are not going to allow our kids to see this. We are not going to allow our husbands or wives to see this. And, you know, it's it's learning to take a stand and, you know, being set apart even when it's not popular. You know, I was reading some articles and there were some people that were so angry and they're saying, well, why aren't you throwing a fit about you know, the cheerleaders on football teams. Why aren't you throwing a fit over this? Well, yeah, I do agree. We do need to throw a fit over this kind of stuff, you know, and people are going, well, it's not the 1950s. Get with it. I'm sorry, but I'm not getting with, you know, dressing really inappropriate. That is not fair to men who struggle and they're trying to gain self-control over who's, you know, when they're struggling with sexual sin, I am not going to flaunt myself in front of them. That is not fair to them. I'm not going to, you know, flaunt myself in front of men that are struggling sexually because, and they're trying everything that they can to gain self-control. That is not fair to them. That's called selfishness. And... That's, that's where I stand. That's where my voice stands. And it's just because, you know, I want to say I guard my marriage and I see what's going on with Hollywood and they, and it, it stems back from UW too, because my husband had to take a really stupid questionnaire thing in order to get his scholarships at the University of Wyoming and they were saying our relationship was toxic because we were guarding our hearts. And I had to just say, shame on you, University of Wyoming, <laughs> for not standing on what traditional marriage is and guarding our hearts for our marriage. And I just want to say to, to the halftime show, to Pepsi, why would you promote this? You know, why would you promote this? You know, when we see that human trafficking and sex trafficking is on the rise 
And I just want to say, we have a problem with human trafficking and sex trafficking. And yes, we see that they're trying to increase the, the punishment on, on when that happens. But that's not going to solve the problem. You have to get to the root source of the problem. So if you are against sex trafficking, you need to be against pornography. And if you are against pornography, you need to get be against halftime show performances like this. Because that's where it starts. <laughs> and if people say that wasn't pornography, I know what pornography is. Well, it's the start towards pornography. And when you look at so many people, the sex traffickers, the human traffickers, you look at serial killers and people who kidnap young kids and sexually assault them, where did it all start? It started with soft corn porn. Yes, that is the truth. <laughs> so I think as Christians, we need to start discussing this and putting our foots down. And for new believers, something like this, I'm sorry that you had to see this. And I think you know, and I pray for Jennifer Lopez. I pray for Shakira that they would know Jesus because for one thing, Jennifer Lopez is a mother and this is what she is teaching is okay to her kids. And that is not right. And so I just want to say that, you know, going forward, I think we need to step up and say that we're not going to stand for this. And I know like we were talking in our Bible study last week. It's about, you know, taking a stand and choosing not to watch things like this. So next year, maybe we don't watch the Super Bowl because especially, you know, depending on the artists that they put in, you know, choosing to not condone what they're allowing, you know, and just not being counted among the viewership, not buying the tickets to the Super Bowl. You know, it, it, there was so many people that did protest the Super Bowl when they found out that there was players who were, you know, disrespecting the American flag. And, you know, I applaud those who do put their foot down and say, we are not going to stand for this. We are going to stand whatever is right and noble and honorable and what is holy before the Lord. And, you know, and I think about, you know, and, not every celebrity, you know, I think even celebrities need to get a wake up call that, you know, we're not going to tolerate for what they're doing. You know, I think, you know, when I look at my youth group kids, the one celebrity that I, you know, there's a few celebrities that have become Christians and it's amazing what they're doing. And I just say, you know what, look at their lives, what they're doing what they're doing to, to stand for what is holy, you know, and, you know, the stand set apart for the Lord, you know, some have walked away from Hollywood. Some are actually just doing Christian movies and I applaud them because they're choosing to guard their heart. And I think, you know, for example, like last week I was reading about the one actor, Neil McDonough, I think is how you say his name. And he's a Christian and he actually got fired from a, a acting position because he refused to do a sex scene with somebody who was not his wife. He was like, that's not right. And 
he doesn't kiss other actresses because he's like this, these lips are for only my wife. And you look at how many years they've been married and the choice that he's making to honor his marriage and all of that, you're going to see that their marriage is going to, you know, stand through, you know, times of trial is going to be strong. They can trust each other. They can rely on each other because of the stand that they have taken to have boundaries in their marriage. And, you know, and he's respecting the marriage that God gave him and, and being, you know, a godly husband to, to his wife. And, you know, and it it goes even further that he's not taking the Lord's name in vain. And so, you know, I think that's something that our kids need to see as actors and actresses that do take that stand and say, I'm going to honor my marriage. I'm putting boundaries on the roles that I take, you know, because these days you have so many movies that promote sex before marriage. They promote violence. They promote things and that go into our heart and cause, you know, impurities in our heart. And that's you know, and the lostness and and promote sin. And we can't be promoting sin anymore. And, you know, so I think, you know, as Christians, yeah, we need to start. We are in that time, in that age that we need to be like Joseph and saying no to sexual sin. We need to be like Daniel and saying, and, and, you know, his friends and saying, no, we're not going to defile ourselves you know, or we're not going to bow down to the gods and, and, and what is considered normal culture. I think that is something we need to do. And so I just challenge you that, you know, to stand for what is right and, and all of that. And, you know, for what is right, you know, look in the, in the word, you know, in the word, it shows what God's heart, God's heart is at. You know, he doesn't like, I know he wouldn't like what he saw or what was going on at the halftime show. He would not be happy about that. You know, and I think he grieves. I think he grieves when he sees people like that, doing stuff like that. It's not that he hates the person. He hates the sin that they're performing. He hates when the enemy has people caught up in so many lies and living in in in, in sin. And so it's not the people that he hates. His heart's desire is to see them set free, to know Jesus, to know him. And so I think as as believers, we have to take a stand so that people start seeing where the truth is, where the light is at and what is darkness. You know, they're not going to know what is truth and what is a lie if they don't hear what the truth is. You know, they're not going to know. And so... You know, I think as Christians, that's what we need to start doing. You know, I'm, I'm starting to protest that, you know, these things. And even as a newspaper reporter, it's going to probably cause me to have to, to say no to promoting bars, say no to promote, promoting events that are going on that promote things that are against my faith. And yes, if I get fired, I get fired. Let the... I trust in the Lord that he'll provide something different, you know, 
in that point because I'm going to be faithful. And I think that's how we need to start being, you know, is when we take a stand for the convictions that we have in in our hearts for the Lord and, and wanting to, you know, please the Lord and be in a right relationship with him. So that's that's my little discussion about the Super Bowl halftime show. And um you know, I you know, that's just pretty much where I stand, you know, and I don't have to defend myself or my life or or anything because you know, yes, I never used to stand up for stuff like this. And I've repented to the Lord about it and he's convicted, you know, he's, he's forgiven me for not taking a stand and he's now giving me the courage to, to take that stand. So, you know, that's my little thing about the Super Bowl. Um, let's get to the daily reading. So last we talked about, we had, you know, um, Joseph and we ended where, you know, he puts his, has the, his silver cup put in Benjamin's bag and, you know, Benjamin, you know, it, it, he pretty much says, well, Benjamin will be my slave, you know, and the rest of you can go home to your father. And you see Joseph's brothers really like grieving over the situation. And you're seeing that their hearts have changed from the last time that we saw them when they sold off Joseph as a slave. And you see Judah, and as we continue on on our daily reading, Judah goes up and, you know, tells him, take me instead. Take me instead. I don't want to see my father grieve and die losing his other son. Like he, he says, take me instead. And when we look at this, like, I just like had this revelation because, you know, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. He comes through the line of Judah through, through, you know, because David comes, King David, which the Messiah had to come through the line of King David. King David came through the line of Judah. And I was sitting there going, I'm like, this is like such a representation of, of Jesus going, you know, I'm the sacrifice, take me instead. You know, he ends up going to the cross for, for our sins instead of us. We were the ones that deserved to, to be put on the cross. We're the ones that deserve to die for our sins. But Jesus, he became sin himself. He took our sin upon him and bore it to the cross. And it was like when I sat there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's that revelation there. And so you have Judah. He's his heart has changed. And he's like, no, I don't want to see my dad go through this. I don't want to see my father go into the grave, losing his son. And he he stands up and says, I will I will take and replace you know, Benjamin, I'll be your slave. And so, you know, we see that. And then all of a sudden, Joseph, you know, he can't take it anymore. He sees their willingness, you know, he sees this repentance in them and he says no more. 
You know, he can't, he can't, and he has everybody leave and he reveals himself to his brothers. And it's interesting because he's like, you know, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? And it says, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified as his, at his presence. They probably went, what? <laughs> because, you know, they keep saying that Joseph is dead. I think they actually maybe thought that Joseph did die. They didn't know what happened. They sold him to the Ishmaelites. Maybe they thought he had died at some point and they believed that he had died, even though they saw him living last. And so, you know, we see this and he, he ends up saying, um, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to pre preserve for you a remnant on, on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and, and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So we see Joseph and we see what this trial, the trials that he's gone through. He says, no, I'm here. He has a realization that he had to go through this in order to save his family. Like when he finds his family, I think it clicked at that point that when he started remembering the dreams and that he had prior to being sold to slavery, it started to click with Joseph that he needed to be here. He needed to go through these trials in order for him, you know, for him to get to this position which in turn would allow his family to come. So, you know, because we see in the daily reading that Pharaoh's like, hey, bring your family here. Because at the time, Hebrews and, 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 and the Egyptians, they, they could not be together. And if it hadn't been for Joseph being there, you know, I think his family would, they would have perished in that famine because they wouldn't have been able to go and trade in Egypt. You know, and I don't, and I think, you know, nobody would have known what would have happened. You know, the famine would have happened. And so the Lord was there to pr provide salvation. He was there and it was for his good. It was the Lord's good because he had a promise to Abraham. He had a covenant with Abraham to preserve a remnant. And in order for that remnant to be preserved, Joseph had to get to this position. Now, does God cause bad things? People think that, you know, we misinterpret this, that God causes bad things. 
he doesn't cause bad things. I think either way, he would have gotten Joseph to the position he was. You know, whatever would have happened, you know, he would have gotten Joseph to that position. You know, just like with Jacob, where instead of Jacob deceiving, you know, his brother Esau twice, you know, I he would have gotten the, the blessings if he would have done it lo- the Lord's way. You know, I think the Lord, you know, he's there. And, you know, we see that the Lord does not take Joseph out of his trials. And, you know, he doesn't take him out of his trials. He he's with, but we see that he's with Joseph and Joseph finds favor in these trials. He finds favor and we see this happy ending happen. And, you know, we were talking about in in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, it says in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And the, the thing about it is, is people go, well, how can you say that? Because I went through this. And so you're saying that God allowed this and that this is good. No, I'm not saying that, but we have, we tend to, you know, our, sometimes our idea of good is actually different from God's idea of good. And, you know, Joseph probably had those thoughts at first going, why do I have to go through this Lord? And, you know, I had these dreams, you know, I think at that point he had to trust in the Lord and the Lord was with him. And like, you know, where we were going through in our Daniel study about, you know, Daniel's three friends that I am not going to pronounce their names right now, but his three friends, you know, they stand and say, I'm not going to worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar had put up. They were not going to worship it. And they told, um, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, our God will save us. But if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. And, you know, what people think is, why did they say that? And it's because they knew that if there's a chance that they are burned in the fire, they're not going to, they're still going to stand and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to defile myself before the Lord, which, you know, that's how we Christians are. There are Christians out there that are being martyred because they take a stand that they're not going to renounce their faith, that they're not going to stop preaching the gospel. And they do die. They do die. And it's sad because people are like, well, that's such a tragic ending. But when you think about it, there are people out there that see that and they end up following Jesus. Because they see what a change is in this person. And I think that there are people out there that, you know, and it it may seem like, how can that be good? But when you think about it, there are people that are being changed because these people that do die for the faith, they have reached somebody and planted a seed somewhere. And that person is going to come to a saving faith in Jesus, you know, and which is what God wants. That's what God wants. 
and is for for people to believe and you know and we're going to have troubles we are going to have troubles we live in a fallen world we cannot be ignorant with that fact now do i claim that i'm going to be sick over my body no i don't claim that i claim god's word what he says about uh, about how he made me and all of that and i take care of myself every single day but i'm not ignorant to the fact that we do live in a fallen world and that you know things happen people get sick good people bad things happen to good people too you know we can't we can't be ignorant of that fact and so you know what joseph is is talking about and he sees it that all this trials that i went through i see it now you know he saw the lord's will in this situation and he was submissive to the lord's will and i think that's how we should be we have to be submissive to the lord's will and stand on what his promises say and it may be hard you know and we will go through a fiery furnace in life. We are like not an actual fiery furnace. We may, you know, you never know is what people come up with, the crazy things. But, you know, there are times that we may, you know, there's a, a fiery furnace in life. And, you know, we see like with Daniel's three friends, they come out, they're not even charred. There's not even the smell of smoke upon them. Instead, it's the glory of the Lord that's upon them, you know, and I think that's how we should be as we, we cling on to Jesus and, and, and the Lord, even through our trials, that when we come out, it is the Lord's glory upon us. And we step, you know, we have this sweet smelling aroma of Jesus that is upon us and, you know, and it's not going to be easy. You know, there's a book we're going to come across that is called Job. And Job had this hard trial. You know, he lost everything. He lost everything, but he still clung on to, you know, you see in there, he's still clinging on to his, to his faith, you know, and that the Lord is his redeemer, you know. In, in several areas, we see that. And so I just want to say, you know, when, you know, we have to say that over and over when we're going through our trials, you know, it's not God that caused bad things that happen to us, but we have to sit there and say, okay, God, I don't, and we may not understand why we're going through this, but we have to sit there as a believer and say, I am going to trust in the Lord and, and, you know, say and to him, you know, I'm going to trust in you. And, you know, in our, our daily reading, we're like in Proverbs chapter three, you know, going to Proverbs chapter, th- you know, three. And it says in verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We have to, even if it's just saying that verse over and over again, you know, he's going to be with us. He's going to be through with us through this process. He's not going to leave us alone. And we're, we can stand on what his word says and, and just keep voicing what his word says and, and just standing on those promises because he's going to be with us to the end. And no matter what, he's going to be with us. (laughs) 
And so, you know, I think we can take encouragement in that when trials and tribulation do come, we can take encouragement knowing that, you know, and especially when it's the enemy attacking us, he's going to turn what the enemy meant to harm us and turn it for good, you know, for his good. And so we see this, that Joseph says this, and he sends his brothers back to, to go get their father and their family and bring them. And we see in this situation that Pharaoh finds out and he says, hey, you know, bring your family, you know. So the favor is there for, these, for them to come. And we taught our you know, we see Israel slash Jacob, he rejoices. He's like, I'm going to go. My son's alive. He's, you know, it's just the spirit of their father, Jacob revived. You know, there was this joy that hits him and he goes, he says, I'm going to go back. And he ends up having a dream. And the Lord says, I am the God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. I will Go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. So he gives this assurance that Joseph's going to close his eyes. He's going to die there in Egypt. But he has this promise that he's, he's going to still continue to be with them. And so they end up leaving for Egypt. And the rest of 46, for the daily reading, it goes through um, the sons that that Jacob has through each of, you know, through Leah, Rachel, and the two, to the, the two maidservants. And so when I do the next daily reading, we'll start back up at verse 26 and all of that. So that's pretty much it with Genesis. Um, I'm going to reserve to talk about Psalms for tomorrow's daily reading podcast. And I'm going to reserve Proverbs still because we're not through Proverbs 3 but we're going to jump to Matthew so in Matthew we start in in the book of Matthew and it talks about tradition God's command and what I want you guys to take out of this is the Pharisees they come up and they had what was called oral tradition and these were oral traditions that they had and the reason why Jesus has a problem with what they say, for one thing, is because their motivation when serving God had gone so beyond just from the heart. They were actually taking these oral traditions, which weren't part of God's word. They were an extension and they were making it equal to God's word. Instead of putting God's word above, you know, because like he, he talks about, you know, honor, you know, your mother and father, they had made all these different things and they were making it equal to that commandment. And Jesus had a problem with that, you know, and I, and I, you know, as believers, we need to have a problem with that as well, because that's called legalism. It's when our motivation, you know, is is so when our motivation with the Lord is just based off tradition and not relationship you know we're sitting here trying to follow all these rules but we have no heart of really serving the Lord or having a heart to to serve him or to love him or have a relationship with him that's called legalism when you're allowing 
that kind and it was pretty much legalism in that day and so their hearts were far from the lord because you know i think if they really had this true relationship with the lord this pure relationship instead of focusing on tradition so much you know kind of like david i think if david was there in that time like king david because of his heart for worship he would have recognized the messiah <laughs> He would have recognized him right there and then saying, that is the Messiah. They didn't even recognize Jesus because their heart was, you know, legalistic. And to these days we do as a church have to watch out for a, a spirit of religion. And it, it really affects churches. It you know, binds up churches. It doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to move in that situation. And I think we'll talk more about um, legalism and the spirit of religion when we get to Mark, because he goes into a lot more detail in the book of Mark. Um, and, you know, so Jesus just has this, he tells them, you know, what, you know, they're, they're missing out. And, you know, he talks about clean and unclean and he talks about what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And so what Jesus was talking about in that situation is because they were, they were having a problem with his disciples, not washing their hands and what it was, you know, and yeah, we do wash our hands because of sanitary purposes, these days, you know, we have viruses that go around, but they were so legalistic, like, and it was so legalistic too, like how they wash their dishes and everything. Their hearts was so set apart. And what he was, Jesus was saying was what you put in your mouth, what goes in is not what makes, it's what comes from the heart. It's what motivates the heart because the heart can be deceitful. You know, our heart can be deceitful because of, because it's always trying to find what is great and pleasurable at that time. And so, you know, it's from the heart where we get sexual immorality. It's where we get murder, where we get malice and anger and greed and lust. And that's where we get that kind of stuff is from the heart. And so he was, you know, pretty much telling, you know, one, his disciples, and also the Pharisees. It's about what's in the heart. Now, as believers, yes, we do set up ourselves apart and, and choose not to drink and choose not to, to do drugs or, you know, to engage in sexual morality. You know, we choose that because of our love for the Lord. We choose to be set apart because we love the Lord and because of Jesus living within us, we are living a different life. And we choose to live a different life from what the world calls normal. And I think we have to, you know, we can take what Jesus talks about and take it, you know, and learn from it. Because, you know, as believers, we need to be alert that we don't nullify the word of God because of tradition, you know. Um, you know, some of the things, you know, we can like, for example, there's so much debate in church about worship, 
you know, what worship songs do we do? And, you know, is it bad to have an electric guitar or a bass guitar? And, you know, all the drums are too loud, you know. What, you know, that has nothing to do with our worship with the Lord. You know, I, you know, I, I do not criticize. I choose not to criticize a worship leader. The only time I will stop a worship leader is that they choose to pick a secular song to play instead of that, you know, promote stuff that isn't right. That's the only time I'm going to put my foot down. (laughs) But I do choose not to criticize a worship leader because I don't know what the Lord has spoken to that worship leader about the songs that they choose. And, you know, I know that there are worship leaders. I have friends who are worship leaders and they take it seriously. They sit for days on end and think about the next Sunday and they pray about it and let the Lord tell them which songs to pick. So I choose not to criticize them, (laughs) you know, because they think about it and they let the Lord guide them. So if I criticize them, I'm criticizing the Lord. You know, we can't nullify the word, you know, the word of God because of popular ideas or present day cultural norms, such as, you know, the halftime Super Bowl game on Sunday. That's a perfect example. I don't have to explain anything more. (laughs) We can't nullify the word of God because of something like that. (laughs) So, you know, it's something that we need to, to be very careful about. And I just tell new believers and I, you know, I really see a lot of new believers and they really like that come into our church and they start being raised in our church and they really don't gripe. It's the people that, you know, they go from one church to another church and they, they get so used to something. And I, I had to be careful with myself when I went from Powell to Laramie, I had to keep myself in check to say, you know, and it was hard because Laramie was not like Powell and I missed the AG church in Powell. I'm going to be honest. And I had to keep myself in check that I wasn't getting legalistic and nullifying God's word. And, and I think that's a big problem when you have people, you know, they move from one church to the next, to the next they really get critical because they they want to stay in their comfort zone and a different church may put them out of their comfort zone and they get very legalistic. And it's like, you know, I just tell people when you're going from one church, you know, here and you, you like, for example, you know, somebody moves, the Lord ends up moving them somewhere else because of a job or there's another opportunity that he needs them to do. It's like, you have to be careful. And I I just tell them, just let the Lord guide you to the church that you need to be at and be open to what, what they're doing. Now, if they're, they're teaching wrong doctrine and they're, they're teaching things that are secular, that that is not right. Then yes, you need to put your foot down and say, that's not right. But, you know, if it's because they're mainly playing modern worship music and not the old hymns that's something you really shouldn't be throwing a fit about 
or, you know, the pastor has a different preaching style from your old pastor. Don't criticize him. The Lord has given him a way to present the message. There it is. You know, that's just how they work. Each person presents the message. Each pastor's different. You know, and I think that's how the Lord works is through different pastors because there's different personalities out there that react better to certain preaching styles. So, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. But so I think we really, we really need to keep ourselves in check and, you know, just allow the Lord, you know, when your motivation is to know the Lord you know, he'll let you know when there's something that's right or that's not right, you know, that's against his doctrine and not of the Holy Spirit, you know. I think it'll it'll be, you know, very clear because you have such a relationship with him. So that's pretty much it for today. Um, I want to say for the next reading, go ahead and read Genesis 46 verse 16 through chapter 48 verse 12 and we're almost done in Genesis only two more days and we'll start Exodus and then Psalm 17 verses 10 through 15 and then Proverbs 3 verses 13 through 14 and then Matthew chapter 15 verse 21 verse through um, chapter 16 verse 4 and I'll just end the prayer and I just thank you Lord for this day thank you Lord that you you became sin yourself and died on the cross for us I thank you God that we have new mercies every morning Lord and I pray that you would guide and direct us as we seek you out and have a relationship with you Lord I pray that you would just begin to touch our hearts guide and direct us and convict our hearts where there needs to be conviction. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just help us to to stand and, and set ourselves apart for you, O oh Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just, your presence would just cover everybody, Lord God, and there would just be such a sweet aroma of your presence. Lord, I pray that you would just Put a heart of pure worship, Lord, a heart that seeks after you, that our heart would break with, with what breaks your heart, that, Lord, our heart would rejoice with what rejoices you, Lord God, and that, Lord, I just pray, Jesus, that you would just touch people who are struggling, who are going through trials and tribulations right now, Lord, who are going through a fiery furnace, who may be going through a disaster, Lord, I pray that you would begin to, you know, put peace in their heart, put peace and healing in their heart. And I pray that you would guide their path. Be the lamp before them, Lord. Give them discernment. Give them wisdom in their situation, Lord. Give them revelation of your will, O oh Lord Jesus, even when they don't see it. Lord, help to increase their faith as they go forward day by day, Lord Jesus. And that we just thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do in Jesus' name.